3: Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And I am so excited about these next two podcasts. So, this is for Mother's Day, and it's for all the mothers and all the mother like figures out there. So, we have over 200 podcast episodes, and I pulled some of my favorite podcast episodes that focus on supporting the mother or the mother figure. So, Ursula, our amazing podcast producer, pulled from the podcast that I picked about 10 to 15 minutes from each segment of things that we think will really be supportive and insightful as a parent. So let me tell you what we have for this episode. We have the ups and downs of motherhood with Dana Kurtz. We have mom burnout with Diana Spaulding, how to have kids and a life with Erica Souter. and childproofing your marriage with Michelle Knerik. Now their bios will be in the show notes because each of them have a very impressive pedigree and it will just be too long in the intro if I go through each of those. And then tomorrow we have our second release and a whole bunch of other wonderful guests and topics that I think you will like. So get ready for a little compilation of some of my favorite podcasts that I think as a parent, you'll find joy and support and (laughs) some laughter in. Now, before we get to that, just a reminder, head to our website. We're talking about supporting you as a parent. I know that sometimes your body and your mind are a little bit achy, and you can't always make it to a full yoga class. So head to our website and grab our free downloadable, Five Simple Solutions to the Most Common Pregnancy Pains. And as I always remind you, these things that we talk about for pregnancy can also be very suitable for postpartum. So you can head to prenatalyogacenter.com and grab that. While you're there, you can also peruse our different class offerings and workshop offerings. We've got a live stream yoga class every single day. So no matter where you are, you can take some prenatal yoga and then we re-releases. So if you can't take it on our timing, take it on your timing. And we also have a Big on-demand web uh, library that we are building even more. So we right now, I think we have six offerings, and we have but four more on their way. So check that out: our on-demand classes and our workshops. Okay, we're gonna take a super quick break, and when we come back. Please enjoy this really fun conversation with many amazing guests. So self-care is such a. Kind of a buzzword, everyone's self care self care and i and I believe that too, you know, but um you coined I like the idea mother care, so can you talk? I love that term, but can you talk a little bit about uh how you see that currently?
4: Yes, so um I love that term too, <laughs> if I may say, and um the way I define it is as follows. Mother care is the right, and I do believe it is a fundamental right of every woman to have access to concrete, practical, reliable, effective, um, inexpensive, low to no cost tools that she can use to make motherhood less taxing and more joyful. Mothers are a special often vulnerable population. As our elders, we have elder care. We have child care. Children are also a vulnerable population. Um, we must have mother care. Um, the fact that we don't, and there are m- many unfortunate pieces of evidence that in our country, we do not, um, honor the work of mothers or support them as they deserve to be. Um, we need mother care. Uh, so, um, My hope is that in coining the term, it will become part of the vernacular um, and that there will be steps taken to to actualize it.
3: So you were saying, you know, creating inexpensive to non-expensive options of coping. What what are some of those skills that someone can use?
4: So um, this is one of my favorite examples. Um, So I write in the book about acupressure. Um, which for listeners who may not be familiar, is a a sister, shall we say, to acupuncture. Acupuncture and acupressure were developed about 5,000 years ago in the East, um, and they are methods of healing. Uh, In the case of acupuncture, they use specialized needles. In the case of acupressure, they simply use, one simply uses uh, the tip of one's finger to apply pressure to particular areas on the body that have been found to um, elicit healing for any one of a number of conditions, from migraines to digestive issues to stress. Um, And what I love about acupressure is that it can be self-employed. So um, with very little instruction, one can treat oneself uh, and have you know, tangible positive effects. For example, there is an acupressure point on the body called small intestine. I want to say number one. There are several small intestine points. I think it's small intestine one. It is nowhere near the intestine. It is located on the pinky finger, towards the outside of the body and just above the cuticle. Applying pressure on that point and by pressure, I mean, enough so that you feel some tenderness, but it's not painful. For about 30 seconds to a minute, twice a day was found in a clinical study to bolster lactation. They measured, yeah, (laughs) I'm getting this amazed look from depth. When I share that information, I was pressing it. I'm like, what's this going to do? And then I'm like, oh,
3: I I don't
4: need that. Well, it can can be effective even if you're not lactating because it can bring about a sense of calm. Oh, Um, go ahead and do that. (laughs) But there was a study that was done and they measured um, milk output using a um, a mechanized breast pump. And they found that women who treated themselves on the point, in fact, produced more milk. So those are the kinds of tools that I talk about um, amongst many others. And... You know, I don't know how many times I've shared that particular nugget, but whenever I do, I get this wave of, why didn't I know that I was breastfeeding? Yeah, it would have Uh, saved me a lot of stress. (laughs) That's a podcast for another time. For me as well. Um, so that's the kind of thing I
3: mean. Um, I like that. I think it's important to be able to also then take ownership and be like, okay, I can calm myself down. I don't need to spend so much. I mean, I clearly I, I believe in um, social work and therapy. My husband's social worker. So clearly I support that. But sometimes <laughs> you can't get to somebody. And sometimes you can't you know, even leave the house. And so finding something to calm oneself, even if it doesn't work, if, like if they don't get the right point, I think – the placebo effect of they, you know, their focus, focused, they're breathing, they're pressing something, they're getting in touch with their body can be a calming, calming mechanism.
4: Absolutely. And they're also setting in motion, um, a path of turning the focus on the mother self, right? So at least, um, a woman has decided that she's worth 30 seconds 30 seconds mm-hmm. of time to attend to herself. So it's a mindset really, um, that I'm encouraging that, um, that women need to, and you know, this is a sort of a, a common metaphor, but they really do need to, you know, put the oxygen mask on themselves first before they put it on their child.
3: Absolutely. So that brings me to my next question. And I've, I've talked to so many people about kind of this idea. Cause I really should have been anthropologist. So, um, <laughs> How do you see the role of the mother figure? How has that changed in the last several decades? I think to as a mother in this time, to the mother I had, and then hearing stories of like my grandmother, the the mother figure now seems so dramatically different than my upbringing in the. I was born in the seventies. I'm outing that um, seventies and and, (laughs) and, eighties. I'm out there with you. You know, and I remember hearing like how my mother's brought up by my grandmother. How do you think that person, that figure and the expectations has changed?
4: That's such a rich question. I mean, talk about its own podcast. I know. Uh, That's why I love asking it to all different people. (laughs) So I think it's changed in a number of ways. First of all, I think, I think this, the millennial generation of Mothers, um, you know the women who are becoming mothers now have a really unique opportunity to um, to cultivate the idea of mother care and to actualize it in a way that our mothers and certainly our grandmothers, Deb, did not. Um, you know the, the there was no um, opportunity a generation or two generations ago. To adopt the ideas of self-care, um, because the default assumption was that you know women are doing what women are meant to do—they are—they are in the home, they are raising children. Um, whether or not it's easy or enjoyable or even preferred is irrelevant. Um, you know, the box was much more restrictive. Um, so now that we've stepped outside the box. I would argue that we have an obligation to, you know, to embrace and realize mother care as, as a mandate so that the next generation, you know, the, the millennial mothers to be, you know, the children of the millennials who will then become mothers if they so choose, um, for them, mother care will be a matter of course. It will be um, as routine to have, let's say, five or six postpartum checkups, as opposed to the one that is, you know, endorsed now, um, because there will be a recognition that the transition into motherhood is substantive enough that it requires attention for every mother. Um, so I think it's an exciting time. Um, and I also think it's a time of great responsibility.
3: It feels like it's kind of like a muddy time, like the lotus will soon bloom, but those in it now, are, maybe that's just my own perspective, Feel <laughs> because change is stirring to comes a lot of change about the support women um, or people related to, you know, uh, identifying as women should have, but we're not quite there. But yet we also have something different than I look at like my mother um, who didn't really go back to work until I was in the high school. Oddly her mother worked as an immigrant coming over from, from Russia worked, you know, right away. So, you know, I look at where my mom came from, where, She was more in the house and the generation raising kids now, it's, I I read the statistics. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's like 60% of women work outside the home, you know? So while we're trying to find mother care for ourselves and try to find the support from our society, we're in a muddier place that we're not just in the home, out of the home. It's a much bigger, messier place as we're trying to find what it should be. Does that make sense?
4: Yes, it makes perfect sense, and I would agree with you a hundred percent and and is often the case you know the the waters tend to be muddy before a point of clarity can be achieved. so I think um, i I think I'm cautiously optimistic that we're <laughs> headed for you know something better than what has been um, and really, really, it's about choice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's about choosing to be a mother in whatever way feels most comfortable for an individual, whether that means a mother who, you know, works outside the home or a mother who works predominantly inside the home that we eliminate the term stay at home mom, because the connotation there is, you know, feed up and eating bonbons. (laughs) Um, if you're a mother, you're working period. Yes. Um, So, uh, so I think we need to expand for further choice and less judgment, um, and that we need to come together as a community and recognize that a mother is a mother is a mother and all of us need to be supported societally within our families, um, within our communities. Um, and we need concrete supports of the kind that I write about and abstract support as well. So I want to go back a little thing about your book. So I know
3: you spoke with so many women when you were writing this. Were there any general themes or issues that you heard a lot? Did any of them surprise you or that you
4: hadn't or you weren't expecting? What a great question. Yes and no. (laughs) Um, I think what... Surprised me and and also um, comforted me was that my story of becoming a mother was really a variation on a theme, um, which is that even in the best of circumstances, and certainly in more challenging circumstances, becoming a mother for the immense joy and privilege. And I, I do want to stress that it is both those things is also really hard. It's really hard if you want to do it well, and we all want to do it well. So, um, I kind of had a hunch that that was the case, I think unconsciously because I thought there would probably be women who would benefit from the book. But the more that I leaned into other women's stories, the more it affirmed the truth of that, um, that it was an experience that was unlike any other remarkably commonplace. I mean, women are becoming mothers every day, literally every day, and also so vast and expansive. And, um, and, and that, that, that was what I kept hearing, you know, this, wow, I I had no idea it was going to be like this. Um, you know, some, some permutation of that. And I think it's so important
3: to keep putting it out there so that we can we can we go back to that social media or just the idea of walking down the street and seeing some mom that looks like she has it totally together, but I bet if you scratch the surface or peek in her house later, she yeah. doesn't. And so <laughs> giving yourself the permission to be like, this is really hard. And sometimes it's a joy and I love it. And other times why <laughs> like my husband and I the other day were like we chose this we chose every moment of this and yet we hate it right now
4: i mean and to be okay that it's hard yes yes and i actually um you know this idea of having chosen to be a mother and again you know it it is a privilege and many women would love that choice and don't have it so i don't want to lose sight of that um i do want to say that by virtue of having made the choice and been, you know, blessed in, in the outcome, that doesn't invalidate that the experience can be difficult, challenging, that there can be resentment. Um, there's an interesting, actually, um, correlation now in the research that women who have had um, fertility issues and had been through IVF or um, that there is a, a connection between having gone through fertility treatment and a higher incidence of postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think part of that anyway is attributed to the fact that when there is so much time and effort and, you know, emotional, um, upheaval, uh, around conceiving, um, that the expectation is if in fact one is lucky enough to have a baby, um, I don't have any right to complain about anything. And of course, if the experience is, this is hard, this is challenging, I'm exhausted. um, Where does that leave a woman? So I think that's important to um, just to be recognized. And you can be a great
3: mom and still not love every moment of it and still think
4: it's hard. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that honesty, that candor with oneself is part of what makes someone a really good mom.
3: Yeah. I just wanted to put that out there because I think sometimes people can be like, and I know my friends and I always laugh like, I'm a terrible mom. I didn't do this. But We don't think we're terrible moms. We just think that, you know, sometimes it's hard and that's okay. And I see that with pregnancy a lot, that there is this image that you have to love being pregnant. And I see some students come up to me, usually quietly after class, and be like, I don't like it. I want the baby, but I don't like it. But everyone tells me how happy I should be. Or afterwards of everyone tells me how great it is that I'm a mom, but it's really hard. And all these things are okay. That's just, I guess, what I want to put out there, my own little way that all these things are okay.
4: Yes, they are all okay. And they are all happening for all of us. And if we could just own up to to it and not judge each other for it. I mean, the judgment, unfortunately, in the maternal community is so thick. And um, that's something we can all, we could all do a little work on, I mm-hmm. think, um, is trying to remove the mother judger. Um, because, uh, we all have one. I know I have mine and I hear her and I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Yeah, and It's, you know, it, it's part of being human. Um, but if we can turn the volume down on it a little bit and just try and exercise a little more compassion, it will benefit all of us. Cause we all want support and community and that will help.
3: so I want to ask you a little bit about your experience. How is your need for community change since becoming a mother?
2: I, I mean, being a mother is by far the hardest thing I have ever done. And so I think, you know, I didn't think of myself as somebody that needed mom friends. I kind of became a mom and I was like, you know, whatever, like I have friends, that's cool. Um, and I didn't know until I was already a mom how difficult it would be to just kind of, you know, talk to somebody else about the things that I was experiencing on the day to day, it's not just solving the problems, right? It's not just figuring out which bottle works best for a colicky baby. It's about, about being able to really unload about those things that you think about at 3am that no matter how close you are to your best friend, if she's not experiencing it, it's, you know, it's, it's an awkward thing to talk about. Um, and I have found that, I have made friends with women that I may not necessarily have sought out if I didn't have kids. Um I'm so much more sort of open-minded in what I I look for in a friend now because mm-hmm. It really is the ultimate unifier is having this baby that is is something that, you know, you have in common and it kind of lets you let go of all of the other things that in the past you might've said, oh, she's not for me, or I didn't like the way she did this, or that just didn't seem like something that would jive with me. I think you all sort of give each other a pass and I've made some amazing mom friends that I'm so glad that I I know and I may not have made them if I wasn't a mom.
3: Oh yeah. Having a baby levels you. It just... A lot of pretenses are they're out and just someone to listen to. Did you have, when you had your first, did you have a lot of friends that already had, like, where were you on that kind of that spectrum? Like I, I had a lot of people I knew that had kids grant from what I do, but not a ton of my close friends had kids at that time.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I I was actually like yeah. The, the same. Like I, I, I knew there were kids out there. <laughs> Although to be honest, living in New York city, uh, before you have kids, at least for me, like I didn't even see kids. Like, I don't know if I just walked by them and didn't notice they were there. I, or I you're really annoyed. Thought, you're like, that stroller is taking up too much space. And yeah, you're like I mean, oh, I, yes, I You don't don't need that think, double stroller. Totally. I don't even think I was aware that there were double strollers. You yeah. know, I just really was kind of going about my day to day. And I thought the city was only filled with, with people that were, you know, like me. Um, so yes, I was one of the first in my kind of crew to have a baby and um, and it's really, uh, you know, it's been so special to be able to now be a resource for them as I am like now really embedded in this motherhood community and having friends get pregnant or have babies or have questions about things and be able to say to them, well, to say to them, first of all, here's a good place to go to find an answer, but also to say, you know, you might be experiencing this, but you're not alone. And, and I want you to know that you can talk to me about that and that you can talk to other people about that. And I think that's, you know, that's really, um, you know, fundamentally how I, I, you know, how satisfying it is to be able to start to like build a community, even though I didn't really have one when I became a mom.
3: Yeah, it's tough. And it's funny. I was speaking to someone this morning about, New York City in particular, and why we made communities such a part of PYC. A lot of people come to New York for usually some sort of, you know, career aspiration or, or whatever, or school, and they don't have their family, where in other parts of the country, maybe people stay closer to family. And so when someone has a child, they have, you know, maybe a cousin nearby, or maybe still high school friends or whatever, or, you know, Grandma's living nearby, but in New York, we really have to make our own family and our own community.
2: It's so true. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in some ways I think being a mom in New York is easier than it is being a mom in other places where you are living, you know, maybe in the suburbs in a house where again, it is very isolating Mm -hmm. in New York. You're sort of forced to like get out there into the world. Um, we're really, we're lucky here that we have so many resources, whether it is a yoga studio right on the corner that you can literally walk out of your house and be at, um, or just like running to get milk and having it be so, you know, and, and and running into somebody at the playground, and you know, I think about mom friends that I have that live, you know, in a, in, a, in a home where they have, let's say, a swing set in their backyard, and their kids go outside and play in the backyard, and that's amazing because they have grass, and I don't. Um, but I think about the amount of times that I've gone up to the park by myself with my kids and ended up, you know, chatting or running into people I knew or making new friends. Um, and I feel really fortunate. I think as city moms, and not just in New York, but really as as urban moms, where we are, we have so many resources at our fingertips mm-hmm. if we only sort of walk out the door.
3: Oh yeah. The tot lot was kind of my go-to for about five years. Um, we'd go there with our sand toys and someone I knew somehow, whether it was a close friend or just an acquaintance was bound to be there. And it really, totally. it really helped the afternoon pass. So I know that you do a lot online. How do you think online communities have impacted parenthood? And I will say, I'm going to throw in my own two cents They're for the good or the bad. We can throw that in there about online communities. I, mean, I think it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword a double-edged in my perspective, sword. my perspective yeah. on that.
2: Um, uh, I think that I, it's, it's, you can't exist in, in parenthood without it now. It's amazing. Like you, you look around at the park and everybody's kind of scrolling Instagram. Like how did we ever live without it? Um, I think I've seen the positives from having an online community, and and in terms of like Instagram and being able to see at 3 a.m. that image of another mom doing exactly what you're doing and making you feel like you're not so alone. Um, some of the conversations and engagement that we're having on Instagram or online are so valuable and rewarding, um, and and it's also a way for us to find each other, right? Like I have. I had a kid who I went through this process where she got glasses and had to have eye surgery when she was like four. And that felt very overwhelming to me. And I, I mean, how lucky am I that I could go online? Somebody recommended a Facebook group to me where people were having the exact same experience that I was. And I could ask questions and get answers and get recommendations and, you know, figure out the, the most child-friendly glasses. And um, I, I, can't, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to have to parent without that. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other side of that, to your point, I think there is a lot of a lot of comparison that takes place online where it's so easy to look at another picture and feel less um, to feel like, you know, you see something and you can't understand why your life doesn't look like that. Um, And I think there is, thankfully, a really big movement right now behind like unfollowing, you know, like really thinking about your Instagram feed as a place that should make you feel good. And if there is something, if you see a picture that you you scroll a few and you go back to that picture and you say, you know what, that didn't make me feel good, you just hit unfollow. Like you have the ability to really curate your experience. Um, And I think I'm. It's refreshing to hear from friends that say, like, oh yeah, I just don't follow her anymore. Uh, I, I love hearing that because not that I don't want somebody to. You know, have success online, but I, I think that um, you know feeling bad about yourself, registering your own motherhood experience against somebody else's that you don't know, and you don't have any idea what went on behind that picture is a really—it's a scary and dangerous way to conduct you know motherhood. Mm-hmm. I actually know several of my friends that have stepped off of being online, and they, they're like,
3: "You can text me," um, which is great, you know, but. I- I, it's hard and I respect their reasons because they're like, I just had, what's it called mofo. They were like, I had this fear of missing out on everything. And I was comparing myself constantly to this person looks like they have themselves all together and look at them here and look at their happy kids. I'm like, I get it. So I think, yeah, it has to be for you. And I like the idea of unfollowing. If it's not adding to your happiness in any way, there's no obligation, you know, pick it's like your friends. Like you wouldn't just have a friend, Although I guess some people do, it's like that friend like, why am I friends with this person? But (laughs) that's a whole other conversation. But you know thinking of it like that, like if it's not adding to you, you know, take them out.
2: Totally. It's funny, you know, as a, as a parent on Instagram, most of the feeds that I follow have to do with parenting. And I'm like, I I really only came to Instagram as a parent. I was, you know, I'm of the age where like, I didn't have Instagram before. Mm -hmm. And I wonder to myself, what else do people look at on Instagram? Like what else (laughs) is on there except for like influencer moms? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's always like so interesting to me when you end up like down like a rabbit hole of Instagram and you end up off of the parent kind of, you know, and I'm like, oh, there is other interesting stuff on here. Instead of following that influencer mom that makes me feel bad about myself, I'm going to follow this food account or a decor <laughs> account or whatever. And to your All point, All my like, stuff's
3: birth. My, my daughter went through my Instagram the other day and she's like, what's happening? I'm like, oh. <laughs> Because they they have a deeper knowledge of birth, I think, than most. Because like I literally have books and pictures, and I have like a pelvis and a baby, so they have a deeper knowledge. Yeah. But there's a difference between understanding the pelvis and how the baby comes out, and then seeing an ecstatic birth <laughs> and having to explain that to a five year old. Totally. So that, that's my Instagram account: births and moms <laughs> and parents, more birth and yeah, pregnancy. Yeah. All right, so how, can, how? What are some ways that someone can find community when they're newly? pregnant or a new parent and think more, I mean, New York is just brimming with this, but you know, someone outside of an urban area.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, when I saw this question, I was really thinking about that in terms of like, I'm like, Oh, come to a motherly event. (laughs) Uh, But no, I, I, think, um, you know, as, as a new parent, you know, the best way to find community is it, it literally is to, it's to step outside your door. It's, it's to, you know, to think about, Go to the library, go Mm -hmm. to a yoga class, like anything out there that you bring your baby to, you will immediately be like a lightning rod for like other babies. They will all be, other moms will be attracted to you. Um, it's just like, get out there. Like that is the best advice that I would have for a new parent. It seems overwhelming. You seem like you're a total mess. You know, you might be wearing yoga pants and haven't showered in five days, but so will somebody else out there. And I think that that's also kind of how you find your people. You're like, Oh, wait, she looks like she's a mess just like me. You're like, Um, I recognize that messy top knot, I have that too. I think that's, that's definitely, that's a a huge way to just, um, you know, try to kind of overcome that fear. Um, that being said, I know, you know, and this is, this is, uh, yesterday I think was maternal mental health health day. Um, and I, you know, I want to, I want to also, you know, shout out, there are so many moms that are really overwhelmed during postpartum and Mm -hmm. just walking out the door can seem like it's way too much. Um, and when it, when that is the, you know, how the way that you're feeling, that's okay too. And you need to. To, you know, you know that some days you don't need to leave the house and that's okay. And also to kind of recognize when like you're feeling over and over, like you can't leave the house, it's a good time to maybe reach out and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, it, building community is really important as a new parent. And if it feels really overwhelming or impossible, um, you know, then you look for resources that, you know, will help you to kind of get through this stage. Um, it is so hard being a parent and nobody, I I think nobody prepared me for that. People told me that, but nobody prepared me for the reality of just the the days that, that I cried all day that I felt like, why did I do this? Did I make a mistake? Um, and I think to acknowledge that like, not every day is going to feel great is, is really important, but also to be able to, um, you know, to understand that you, you need help, you need community. You cannot do it alone. Um, and if you're having trouble finding that community, like talk to your partner about it, talk to your doctor about it, because you, you know, you should not be sitting every day by yourself. It is not, it's not good for you. It's not good for your baby. Um, like community, is, it's everything.
3: So why do you think the needs of mothers has become a bit, I hate to use the word, but
0: maybe it's how I often feel, a little unimportant. I, kind of, yeah. I feel that yeah. way. <laughs> Oh, gosh! I think that um you know a lot of it has to do with the patriarchy mm. <laughs> um and you know sexism and misogyny and and all of that um and this idea that you know first of all, the act of caretaking um is not probably valued as much as it should be um and certainly this day and age. All parents, you know, many, many parents um, are involved in the caretaking of children. Um, but historically, you know, for the last hundreds of years, it has been um, primarily the responsibility of women. Um, and so the sort of patriarchal views in um, in combination with this idea that caretaking is not necessarily important um, have sort of diminished it as work um it's kind of like what it's ex- it's expected that's what well that's what you do you know you're you're the mother of course you know of course that's what you make what the you appointments do. you plan the birthday yeah. parties you plan the
3: play dates you exactly. do that you make sure the bags are packed you get the camp going like yeah
0: yeah yeah yep. <laughs> all of that stuff um and it's so interesting because i and and i don't think that it's just you know, I'll speak for myself. Like it's, it's not just men. I do it to myself. You know, I, I have absorbed so deeply this notion that certain things are my responsibility as mm-hmm. the person who identifies as the mother, that like my husband is an incredibly equal partner, wants to help, wants to do more, you know, all of that stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got, it. I got, it. I got it. I'm like, no, I don't actually really don't want to pack the backpacks. Like that would be great. (laughs) So I think it's, it's shifting the cultural perspective for everybody. Um, it's not just like bashing our partners necessarily.
3: That kind of brings me into the talk about self care. And I know it's such a buzzword and (laughs) it kind of annoys me, but there is something, and yet I still use it. There is something about caring for ourselves and the need for support and support from family. Can you talk a little bit more about the support that you would like to see that could heal modern motherhood, that we need to make big societal changes, changes within the family, changes in the community?
0: How can we elevate the mother? Yes. I love this. Um, and this is an ongoing question that I am continuing to, to learn about, but I think a lot of it is starts with ourselves. Um, and that's, that's like not always my favorite answer when I hear it, because I'm like, I don't want to start with myself, (laughs) but we have to start with ourselves. Um, but you know, really figuring out all the ways that we can be gentle with ourselves. I, um, you know, since starting to do all this work with burnout, spend a lot of time thinking about my own burnout and thinking about like, just kind of listening to sort of that inner dialogue, you know, how, and I don't talk very nicely to myself, you know, that sort of like inner critic, right. That I think, I think a lot of us have, how can we continue to change the way that we Talk to ourselves and think about ourselves. Because then once we're thinking about ourselves in a more loving way and please easier said than done, um, it can become a little bit easier to set up those boundaries and set up those Mm. guardrails. Boundaries and to say Ah, boundaries, (laughs) yeah. And to say, you know, to your, you know, in-laws, actually. We want to have a couple weeks alone with the baby before, before we have a visitor come over. Um, or actually I'd rather not have my, you know, cousin's babysitter's best friend at the birth. That doesn't feel comfortable to me. So really getting clear on what are your values and where do you draw the line? Um, can help and it, it takes practice. I am learning every day. Um, so I think that that is a big piece of it. Um and then I think, you know, what one, one of the things that that is really missing, especially right now, is the village. Um humans are social creatures. We are um sort of evolutionarily designed to be together and to help each other, especially when it comes to raising children. Um, and as a society, we have sort of moved away from that for a variety of reasons. And then certainly with the pandemic, we feel very alone and isolated often. And I think that has a big impact. So I always say like, you know, your friend that had a baby three and a half weeks ago, she could really use a phone call right now because everyone called her in that first week and a few people called her in that second week. Not a lot of people are calling her in week three. Mm. Not a lot of people are bringing a lasagna, not a lot of people. And again, it's a lot more than that lasagna. It's a, Hey, I was thinking about you. You're really important. I want to do something to show you that I care. Um, and I think that those are really important gestures that are not to be overlooked, even though they feel small. I am just going to tell a quick anecdote, if that's okay. Yes. Um, I had just had my third. So my kids, um, my first two are three years apart and my second and my third are 15 months apart. So, yep, happens, happens to midwives too. Um, and so my preschooler was in preschool and I was at some like little gym class with the toddler and I was leaving. So I had the toddler in one hand and the baby in the car seat, in the bassinet. And we're walking out and the toddler slips out of my hand and makes a beeline for the parking lot, just starts running. I, like, you know, all maternal instincts, like lunge for him, grab his, I think his shirt or something just before he goes out into the parking lot, fall down onto my knees, oh. scrape my knees. The kids were okay. The baby in the car seat was fine. I didn't, I didn't, and all of this, I didn't drop the car seat, which is like shocking to me, but I, my knees are scraped and bleeding, which PS as a grown up having scraped knees. is really painful. <laughs> Forgotten. So, and I just started, I mean, I'm on the sidewalk. All these people are coming out of this class. My knees are bleeding and I'm just crying. And this woman came up to me and she put her hand on my back and she said, you're not doing it wrong. It's just that hard. And then I cried more <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know who this, I don't know who she was. I have totally lost contact with her. I want to find her one day because that one phrase has really carried me through parenthood. Um There's this idea, I had this idea that, you know, anytime that something was going wrong or was challenging or, you know anything in parenthood that it was because I was doing it wrong Mm because obviously I wasn't a good enough mother. And obviously, you know, I was letting people down. And I think sometimes it's okay to just acknowledge like, this is just hard and anything you would do right now would not really work or feel right or feel. And again, that's such a release of, um, of a burden, Um, So anyway, all of that is to to the the long-winded answer to your question, which is to remind yourself that you're not doing it wrong. Sometimes it's just that hard. Um, And that's okay. And that is not a reflection of you as a mother or a parent.
3: So let's also talk about, I like that you were talking about the expectations. I've had to set expectations to have some personal time, which is honestly, I get up at 5.30 a.m. and I have from 5.30 to 7. I make my coffee. I do a ride. I often do weights and I do yoga. That's like my, my time. By 7, I need to be dealing with everyone else, but I'd rather not necessarily be at 5.30. So what are your, what, how can someone create some boundaries around personal downtime?
1: Well, it has to be intentional, right? You have to be just as intentional with yourself as you are with the needs of other people. And, you know, that, unfortunately, that might mean 5.30 in the morning if that's the most opportune time. Yep. But I think what what I have found is that I now make it very clear what I need and I, and I carve out a way to have that, right? So I tell my partner, I tell him, Um, you know, on this day I'm doing this. So you, you have enough time, you have a few days. Can you make sure that you're home so I can go do this? Or, um, I make sure like every week I have built in time that I work out. I also have built in time where I have coffee with my friends. Now it took me a long time to get to that point where I had the confidence and I'd say the gumption to just demand that. But now that I do, I'm, I'm much happier. I'm more, I'm much more balanced. I, you know, I can take these deep breaths and feel oh, renewed when I'm doing these things for myself. So when I talk to other parents about this, sometimes it's you know it's hard because we have kids and we have little ones and you don't want to pay a babysitter every time you want to go get a coffee. But you know, I did talk to a group of parents in California who created this um, community babysitting plan. Right, so they would trade off they're like four houses and they would kind of trade off giving each other free time. And sometimes it's date night. So then like another house takes the kids and then you and your partner can go out on a date. Other times it's like, you want to go take a class every Thursday at six after work, then, you know, it's they've worked it out where everyone kind of benefits from this community time. So I'd say use your resources, Mm -hmm. you know, Your mother-in-law may annoy you, but if she's willing to babysit so you can go out and do something for yourself, take it. Um, If you have siblings or cousins or aunts or uh, that really lovely, lonely neighbor who would love to help out with your kids, you have to take advantage of the village you create for yourself. And that is really the only way to get the balance you need. Um, It's just just so critical for your own emotional well-being, I think.
3: I totally agree. And you said something that kind of made me think about, you said going out for coffee and that made me think about how much I did before kids with friends. And what I've realized is my son's almost 10 over this time. I have noticed a lot of my friends, but I don't think, I don't know if I have any friends that don't have kids. So how, <laughs> how do you, how do you stay connected to? child-free friends. Do you have any suggestions on that?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I dedicated a whole chapter to this, this notion of like staying connected to child-free friends, because when you are a parent, it's just so easy to get wrapped up into the parent world. You, it is possible to function and not have, and live your life without any child-free friends. And, um, I just, Find that when I interviewed people who were child free, it's a very hurtful circumstance, right? You know, you were once very much a part of this person or these people's lives. And then you had kids, you kind of drop out of their universe and that's hurtful, right? So you have to, you have to make an effort to be with your child free friends. And, you know, a lot of moms have talked about, well, they're not going to want to come to a three year old's birthday party or they're not going to want to deal with me talking about, you know, Jimmy's milestones or like how much I hate the first grade teacher. And I was like, well, I said, well, for your own sanity, you should want to talk about other things anyway. Like you had interests before you had kids. Yeah. You can still have those interests now. And having connecting connected with child free friends is a great way to have a life outside your kids as well. You know, that's, a, that's one of the, I think one of the biggest mistakes we often make is that we, Our whole world revolves around our kids, but even everything, even we turn all of our interest into whatever is going on with our kids. And there comes a time when your kids don't need you or want you around that much. And it's really important to have a life of your own outside of your children as well. And so when, you know... I call up and I hadn't talked to this friend in in years and I I reconnect with her a couple of years ago and we just like catch up by phone every month when I'm in my hometown, which she still lives in. We'll meet for coffee. We, you know, we check in on each other during the pandemic and it doesn't take a lot. It's just, but she's, she's important to me and I've made her important to me. And I make that little bit of effort and it's, it makes her feel valued and it makes me feel connected. And I think that you have to do that. And you also have to celebrate other people's milestones, right? Mm -hmm. They don't care. There's no fifth kindergarten graduation, which you know I had a preschool graduation today. There's none of that (laughs) in this woman's life, but she got a new job. Hey, let's, let's celebrate when I'm in town. Let's go out for drinks or let's go out for dinner. Or she's seeing someone new. I'm like, I want to hear all about it right i'm not going to dominate the conversation with my world because moms can talk endlessly about all the craziness of motherhood mm-hmm. but other people need to share their lives and their experiences so there are those things and it actually makes me feel better right it makes me feel better listening to someone else who needs to be listened to right and you know and that person's going to be there for you in those moments in in the most surprising ways. So you just have to give it a chance. You have to make an effort to keep those relationships alive in some way, not every day, not every morning, maybe not even once a week, but you have, you you should maintain that connection because it's, it's, it's going to benefit you. I promise.
3: Okay. Woo. Career and family for those that have a career outside the house. What is your advice about keeping even escalating one's career while still trying to be a present parent and not feel like you're missing on just the upbringing of your child.
1: Mm -hmm. So here is, here's the deal on that. You're <laughs> I'm listening. What is the, deal? <laughs> I know, this is the deal? So I think we, when we go into, we're, we're working moms, career moms, and um, we kind of jump back into work after maternity labor, however long we've taken off. We have this idea that we're going to be able to give a hundred percent, to everything sometimes some of us do like right i'm gonna give 100 to work 100 to kids 100 to my marriage and it doesn't work that way no right? I, it <laughs> no. never works that way no ever. i haven't i've yet to meet the person that that works for um and i and i've talked to some women and i did this myself i remember thinking oh well i'm gonna do like 30 30 40 right i'll give 30 to something that doesn't work either right because you don't want to you don't want to kind of fail everything at once. What I think what works best, what worked for the women I talked to was when they had to, there's a constant shift of priorities, right? So the weeks that your kids need you, when there's something big going on or there's a, there's a game or there were recital or there, that is the priority. And that's what you make sure you are there for and that you clear your schedule for. But there are times where work needs to take the priority and you may not be able to be there for everything. It's like a constantly shifting target, right? Mm -hmm. Because at different days of the week or different times of the, um, month or different times of the year, you're going to have to prioritize different things. Now I know that a lot of moms feel really guilty when they can't be there for Mm -hmm. everything. And I've gone through that myself. And actually I'll tell you, Story. I when my son was about four years old, I stopped working full time because I thought, you know what, I I need to be around more because I'm I'm working so much, and that's when I, I was still working in entertainment, and I, you know, it was just four a.m. deadline. It was just crazy, and I stopped working full time for several years. My oldest, my oldest son, and then he had this little graduation. He was going to middle school, and he got up and they were supposed to tell like this memory about you know coming to the school that he was at and he told this story about like oh like my mom always you know basically he i, I worked all the time and that um i couldn't come to a lot of his stuff but the teachers at the school always made him feel so loved and welcome. And I thought, Oh my God, for the past four years, I haven't worked, <laughs> but that's what he, that was his that's impression. He, that's his impression that I, and I, I mean, I was on the, I'm on the school board. I volunteer to run dances and and benefits and Christmas fairs and all <sighs> this stuff. And I thought, Oh my God, like I have, you know, so what, I guess the point is, is that you can think you're making this huge sacrifice. And it may it's it's not always necessary. You don't have to give up every part, every other part of you to be a good mom. I find that I am a better mom when I have deadlines that I'm trying to meet, but also balancing it with their needs because I have that other part of me that's fulfilled. So, do I have perfect that balance every day? No, I do not. But like this morning I made sure to be at the preschool graduation, then I had an article that I needed to turn in and I came back and hustled and finished it and then I had this interview to do. So again, it's like constantly moving targets, but you have to figure out the balance that's gonna make you feel good, right? I feel good when I can when I have work and home. Right. If work doesn't make you feel good, if you feel that this is not good for your family then you have to make a choice. But if you do like working or you need to work, you should also know that your kids are going to be okay. And they're also seeing something really important. They're seeing someone who's taking care of a family, who's meeting the responsibilities that they have. And hopefully they're seeing someone who loves what they do.
3: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb
1: Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.